from our studios here at the Great South Bay in Long Island, New York. This is our own Turf Wars podcast. Here's your host, Matthew Outlay. Broadcasting from the long heart of Long Island, right near the Great South Bay. This is the Home Turf Sports Podcast right here on the Home Turf Radio Network. I'm Matthew Wally. I'm your host. Welcome to the second day of September in 2022. Well, we are, I know you, we already, I have already covered the whole damn Donovan Mitchell saga. And I know it, and I know I don't want to talk, I know I don't want to talk about it as much. But. God damn it, I at least got some view listens from that, but not a lot, but hey. We're still we're I'm still making progress. We're gonna be doing I'm I'll be doing these kind of things every time I get a chance to, but hey. That's what I do. But this is just came out from the woodwork. The college football playoff expand well, will be expanded to twelve teams to implement it as soon as possible. And according to CBS Sports, well, the college football playoffs board of managers voted Friday to expand the playoff field to 12 teams with a aim to implement the larger format as soon as possible, sources tell CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd. The unanimous vote is an important first step in pushing the playoff beyond the current 14 format. Well, the expanded 12-team bracket will feature the six highest ranked conference champions as automatic qualifiers along with the next six highest ranked teams. The board has approved the new format to be utilized beginning with the 2020-2016 I mean the 2026 season. I'm getting my numbers wrong here. Though it helps that it can be implemented earlier. Perhaps as soon as the 2024 campaign course, with an 11-member board, including university presidents and chancellors representing 10 of the F10, representing each of the 10 FBS conferences, plus Notre Dame President John Jenkins, approved expansion as a concept. It is only the first step in ensuring the field moves beyond four teams. It is now up to the 10 FBS commissioners and Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick, Swarbrick, those who compromise the CFP management committee to oversee implementation. So that right there is exci- is going to be very exciting. It will start it get the to get moved from four teams as it currently stands in the college football playoff to twelve. That's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. It's a con- it's a concept, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's gonna attract real attention. We'll see an ACC school, an SEC school, a Big Ten, Big Twelve, Pac Ten, Pac Twelve. If that's the case. To be more um, influenced to get bulwarks on a because those are the, because it's a shot because the big schools 
are looking to get the big money or looking to get the big money from it. Okay. Continuing on, the committee is scheduled to meet on Thursday in Irving, Texas. Among the main topics on the docket for the committee will be addressing the board's request to implement the 12-team field earlier than 2026, along with when and where games will be played. The person responsible for the logistics of the expanded playoff told CBS Sports a 2024 start is unlikely, with 2025 being more reasonable. The CFP's 12-year contract with ESPN expires ahead of the 2026 season. Of course, Mark Keenum, chairman of the CFP Board of Managers, chairman and, and, and chairman and managers, and chairman and president of Mississippi State, he said, "This is a this is a, an historic and exciting day for college football. More teams, more participation." And more excitement are good for our fans, alumni, and student-athletes. I'm grateful to my colleagues on the board for their thoughtful approach to this issue to, for their, and for their resolve to get expansion across the goal line and for the extensive work of the management committee that made this decision possible. Of course, it's a lot of schools, and I'm, a lot of schools are going to, if they make this, it makes the 12 team playoff, they got a lot of money. They're gonna get a lot of money in their pockets. Probably use that for football fields, and probably use that for a lot of money, and probably use that to build off on the on the rep, on the uh, reputation of their football of, of their football programs. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That will be a lot of money if that is. They can't if that is the case. Now, it's still early. Um, they're going to be meeting this week. They're going to be meeting, meeting this on next next Thursday. That's when football. That's when pro football season starts. By the way, day one. There's going to be a lot to talk about there, and they're going to be talking about that. And they're going to be, and there's got a lot of, and there's going to be a lot of changes in the bowl landscape. So there's going to be so that right there, more teams, more opportunities, and more money going their way. The bull among the veterans approved by the board on Friday. It's a 12-team bracket. The six highest-ranked conference champions, no minimum ranking requirement, plus six next six highest-ranked teams. If you're Alabama, um, you're probably get a shot at it. You're higher. If you're um, if you're like Texas, like you're um, Texas A&M. I mean, or Texas Tech, or maybe or Clemson, or Michigan, or Ohio State. You're probably gonna be very. This is this is really big for them. And of course, there's the ranking system there. The CFP selection committee will continue to determine weekly rankings with criteria to be reevaluated. So there you have it. It's going to be a lot of uh, decision making for all colleges going forward. See how that see how that turns out. Bracket placement. 
Of course, four highest-ranked conference champions will be seeded one through four with a first round for first round buys. Four IS remaining seeds will host lower seeds at the sites to be determined. Scheduling first round games will be played at campus sites on either the second or third week in December, at least 12 days after the conference championship games. And bowl relationship right there. Quarterfinal and semifinal games will be played at rotating bowl sites, subject to agreements being reached. National championship will continue being played at neutral sites. Existing conference relationships with bowls will be considered for game placements. Of course, the exceptions may be made. For example, if a team with a smaller stadium prefers to host in a larger nearby state venue, or a Big Ten team wants to play at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, which is over the Big Ten championship game. So that so. If you are, of course, if you wanna, if you wanna play on, if you're so like, if you wanna be Michigan, you probably go to, you'll go to Indiana. Um, and if you're an ECC school, hey, I might like Clemson. This is this is the stadium. You can go to Death Valley. Of course, the CFB subcommittee comprised of FBS commissioners. That originally developed this 12-team bracket received a favorable reception when it was first introduced in June 2021. Following that presentation and before expansion could be approved, realignment rocked college sports as Texas and Oklahoma announced plans to depart the Big 12 for the SEC. Given SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey and then Commissioner Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bolsby were on that CFP subcommittee. The ranks were rattled, with other conference commissioners putting a halt to expansion conversations while reevaluating their league's places in the sport. First came an alliance between the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12, with the conferences agreeing to vote as a block on key issues. That alliance stood in the way of expansion on January 10th with an 8-3 tally in support of moving to a larger field. A unanimous vote was required to pass expansion. In February 2022, given given the board largely expected a rubber stamp in a prior vote, expansion was considered a shelved topic for the foreseeable future. The Big Twen, Big Ten swiping USC and UCLA from the Pac-12 this past offseason, a continuation of this round of alignment realignment, brought a clear end to that short-lived alliance. It also opened the door to revitalize Sox, given to the ACC, Pac-12, and Pac-12 will not be bringing in media rights venue revenue to the level of the Big Ten and SEC in the near future and can use CFP expansion to help guarantee their respective futures. Of course, CFB Executive Bill Hancock, Director Bill Hancock, previously stated that the playoff would not expand before the end of its current contract, which is set to expire in 2025. In releasing national championship game sites through 2025, through the 25 season, just weeks Atlanta will host the following season, following the 2024 season, in South Florida next year. The CFP seemingly confirmed a format change will not occur earlier. 
if the CFP aims to expand prior to the end of its ESPN contract, it faces a hurdle of needing to find enough game sites, possibly on campus for early round games, and enact appropriate logistics, hotel rooms, practice facilities, etc. In a short period of time, while those remain large obstacles, sources told Dodd that all could be cleared with 28 months to go until a potentially expanded playoff in 2024. Mountain West Commissioner Greg Thompson, one of the four key members of that subcommittee, along with Sankey, Bolsby, and Swarbrick, said, My response in general is, if people are willing to do it, anything can happen. And of course, a 12-team playoff has been valued at $1.2 billion annually. Industry sources told Dodd up to up from the current $600 million from the CFP is earning from ESPN. By not enacting expansion prior to the 2026 season, the CFP would be leaving significant money on the table. ESPN will hold will would hold rights to any CFP games through the final two years of its 12-year deal. Of course, the, there there remains widespread support for CFP media rights to go out to multiple bidders once the ESPN contract expires. The Big Ten recently signed a 1.2 billion annual deal with CBS. Fox and NBC to air its games. So right there, so right then and there, it's just business. It's just business on a ha- on part of the people in college football. And we have and that right there. And if you got and if the CFP is willing to expand to twelve. Then there's gonna be a lot, and they're gonna make a lot of money. They're going to make uh, a lot of dough for all things college football. You gotta, make, you got to make things work for the, or every organization. That, like the like the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the Pac-12, even the ACC and SEC. You got to put money. And on the table on for and regulation that really really plays the harder mucks that plays the hardest note of them all. Well, regulating college football is a need if it's if it, even if it means expanding the college football playoff, I'm all for it. Regulation is much needed as well. Um, that I will say. Good luck to that. Good luck on that. But we still got a show to do. This is Home Turf Sports right here on the Home Turf Radio Network. If you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we're also at we're at Home Turf Radio, and we'll be right back. I know. I get it. You're looking for the best shirts in town. Something that associates with the area or something like that? Let Mac of Amityville help you out. Of course, Mac is the home of the of Mac t-shirts, Long Island Toss t-shirts, Island Tribe t-shirts, and plenty of cool stuff, merchandise you can find. It's the best butt shop you ever find here, shop in Amityville. Well, check them out down on down on Route 110 and 10 at, next to the next to the Amityville Amityville train station. 
That's that's minutes from the Amityville train station. I mean, and don't forget to check them out and check them out today. Long you got Rucker, Harlem has Rucker, Lincoln, Queens got Lincoln, but Long, but Long Island has the map. Let me tell you something, folks. After the Donovan Mitchell trade from Utah to Cleveland, a lot of Knicks fans were not happy with it. But you know, I a lot of there were plenty of Knicks fans who says, you know what, Knicks should have never overpaid, and they didn't, and they didn't make the move, didn't make that trade. I was among the people thinking that Leon Rose is probably a genius for not getting fleeced for the um, race by Danny Ainge when he like gave up all these picks and all these and some players for like one one person this would have brought back memories of the Carmelo Anthony trade back in 2011 Nick fans forgot about that but the Ringer recently wrote this. I mean, if R.J. Barrett can't help the Knicks land a star, can he be one himself? And I think it's, a, and I think it would, and I think it will, and I think he might, regardless of what people think. Of course, the Ringer has this. For a player who spends quite a bit of time scoring in isolation, it's a little odd how rarely we talk about R.J. Barrett by himself. Barrett just averaged 20 points per game at age 21 and is a year removed from finishing second in the league in minutes for a playoff team. Yet discussion of his game always seems to come in the context of others. When we talk, and of course, this is writer Dan Devine. When we talk about the number three pick in the 2019 drafts production, we're really taking talking about how it stacks up next to that year's first and second picks. Former Duke teammate Zion Williamson and All NBA Lightning bulk John Morant. John Morant. When we talk about is advancing command of the offense. We're really talking about talking about how he fits next to fellow point forwardish lefty Julius Randle on the waxing then waning Knicks. When we talk about how he is how likely he is to become a star in his own right, we're really talking about what role he stands to play in New York's perpetual pursuit of that elusive rainmaker who might lift the franchise out of the decades spanning doldrums and back toward if not championship contender tension then at least a, and then at least consistent competence of course it's fitting ending then and even a late monday night new might news break about the fourth year forward achieving generational wealth that was really a bank shot in the course of relaying word about Barrett finalizing a four-year contract extension that could earn him up to $120 million through 2027, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski almost immediately pivoted to how Barrett's new bag complicates the Knicks' 
offseason trade pursuit of of Daniel Sanchez All Star Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell was just been Mitchell was Mitchell was yesterday since yesterday was traded to Cleveland. It's perhaps equally appropriate that Walsh quickly noted Barrett is the first New York first round pick to sign a multi year second contract with the, with the team since Charlie Ward back in 1999. More than any other Nick, Barrett stands at the crossroads of New York's ramshackle past, recent past, for its hope for a Senate future. With that, with whichever path he takes, though he'll never walk alone. First, the nuts and bolts. Unlike draftmates Zion, Ja, and the number five pick Darius Garland, Barrett didn't get the max. And in fact, got a hell of a lot less than a five-year, 193 million rookie-scale extension that would would have represented his top possible dollar. Only, only 107, 107 million of the deal is fully guaranteed, according to Sham Sharania of The Athletic, with the remainder tethered to a number of incentives. Ian Bagley of ESNY reports that the agreement includes escalator bonuses, like tied to selections to the All-Star game, any of the three All-NBA teams, or either two All-NBA defensive teams. The base salary re-up will start Barrett out at just $23.7 million for the 2023-24 season, which will put him in line to be something like the second highest paid wing in the NBA for that season. Okay, so that's easy. That pay grade doesn't seem particularly on- onerous, especially in a post-bubble and no fans in Stan's NBA, where the Sox salary cap line has resumed its climb to ever more unprecedented levels. It's also one that you could argue Barrett's play to this point hasn't quite warranted, given his well-chronicled battles with scoring efficiency of of 287 players who have logged at least 2,500 minutes in the NBA since 2019, Barrett ranks 276 in effective field goal percentage, which accounts for three-pointers being worth more than two-pointers, and 277th in true shooting percentage, which also factors in the value of free throws. Those grim figures merit their own contextual consideration, though, Considering Barrett's evolution into both a high-volume ball handler and with Reggie Bullock heading to Dallas last offseason, New York's top perimeter defender. He's faced the toughest average matchup of any Nick player last season, spending significant guard time, guarding across four positions, while also shouldering a major offensive load, especially late in the season. According to the B-Ball Index, Barrett's combination of a high usage rate and a steady diet of defensive assignments on high usage opponents last season put him in a company of a slew of all-stars. Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Fred Van Vliet, Drew Holiday, DeJounte Murray, and, and, and Riggins as well, as some other solid, solid perimeter contributors capable of put it, pulling eye leverage two-way duty. Of course, what makes players like George and Butler superstars, of course, is their ability to create and convert shots efficiently while still taking on those significant defensive burdens. Whether Barrett 
Barrett can join their ranks as a perennial all-star candidate will likely depend on whether he can return to the form that saw him shoot 40.1% from three-point range as a sophomore, whether he, whether he can make strides as an off-the-bounce shooter after just going 38 for 147, 25.9% on pull-up threes to date, and whether he can develop the strength, burst, and touch to dramatically improve as an interior finisher after shooting just 54.6% in the restricted area through three pro seasons. Of course, New York is paying up, paying up for now, then, now, then, represents a bifurcated, bifurcated bet from a pure dollars and cents perspective. The Knicks are wagering that a deal for what amounts to be 18% of the projected 2023-24 salary cap, a percentage that, again, will decline as the cap rises, especially as the deluge of cash from the next NBA's next broadcast rights deal hits the league's financial system for the ages 23 to 26 seasons of, of a durable and talented young wing will like a, look like a bargain before long. Barrett's deal immediately calls to mind the four-year incentive-boasted extension that Boston gave Jalen Brown back in 2019, a contract that has paid off handsomely for the Celtics. Of course, Knicks president Leon Rose and company are banking on being able to create a better on-court context for Barrett to succeed than he's than he's been since and been in since he arrived in New York. In Barrett's first two seasons, the Knicks ranked 25, 29th, and 27th respectively in three-point attempts per game before leaving up the 10th last season. He spent most of his first three years playing in largely cramped lineups featuring an array of non-shooting miscap last point guards like Alfred Payton, Frank Nilakina, Dennis Smith, and Alec Burks all are no longer here. Diddick's offense will still likely feature some congestion with Coach Tom Thibodeau's commitment to playing rim-protecting, non-stretch centers like Mitchell Robinson, Jericho Sims, and new arrival Isaiah Hardenstein. But the addition of Jalen Brunson, the young, smart, stabilizing agent at the point who's just under 39% for three-point range over the past two seasons, gives the Knicks another scoring and playmaking threat, which could help turn some of Barrett's less successful shot attempts into high-value chances. It also gives defenders another perimeter playmaker to worry about which could help open open driving lanes for Barrett's bruising rim attacks, like the one he did against Dallas last season. You know who else who might draw defensive attention? Unclench the middle of the floor and help break down coverages before swinging the ball to Barrett so he can slash to the paint in a second action? Of course, that Mitchell, whom the Knicks sure would have loved to snag from the from the event, evidently about to rebuild Jazz, but whom Utah Jefe Danny Ainge seems to loathe to let go for anything less than the Sun of the Stars. That asking price may or may not have included Barrett at varying points in negotiations. Now, though, Barrett's almost certainly off the table due to a poison pill provision in his new contract. 
that would make it difficult for both sides to match salary in a deal that included him. And of course, we all know. And of course, that and that ended that pursuit right then and there. Remember, Mitchell was traded to Mitchell was traded to Cleveland for more for more picks and a couple players that probably won't make it make it out there. According to Shirani and Tony Jones of the of the Athletic, the Knicks offered veteran guard Evan Fournier a 2020 lottery pick Obi Toppin, additional salary, and five future first round picks. Two of which were unprotected for Mitchell. After Utah demurred, Mark Berman of the New York Post reported that the sticking point in negotiations remained amount of unprotected first-round picks in the package that was sent, with the Jazz seeking more, but as, as many as four unprotected firsts. The gap between offer and asking price is notable, but, with, but would dovetail with Mark Stein's reporting that there is a decent chance that the Lakers, armed with Russell Westbrook's massive $47.1 million expiring contract would have been involved in that deal. That or I just don't think that out. Maybe the, I think right now the end of there. This con this sentence is there. If Rose, if Leon Rose does indeed have the best for them between 107 million and 120 million is an awfully healthy loss. Spoonful of sugar to help Barrett swallow the medicine. What could could be a curtailed offensive role and an even greater defensive responsibility. If Rose doesn't get Mitchell a Mitchell trade down the Neil deal marks Barrett as a foundational piece of the next plans on both ends of the floor and a significant investment of the next of the next Turning him into the franchise's first true homegrown home run since Patrick Ewing, I think he's gonna do good, and I think it's, and I think it's gonna be more and, and more and more out there. This money, because right now, Bar Barrett's deal is gonna make money, but for me. I'm about to bank on R.J. Barrett being the guy going forward because that's what I want to see in the end. R.J. Barrett going to be the star of this team for many, many years to come. And of course, coming up right after the break, I'm going to be making my pick for Jackass of the Week. So stay right here. This is Old Turf Sports on the Home Turf Radio Network. Also, if you're listening to us on, you can listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook as well. That's where we're on. We're at Home Turf Radio, and we will be right back, right after this. I know your shirts are bland, your hats are bland, your businesses are businesses are bland, bland. So why not give it a facelift with Li Tops? Li Tops is the is Long Island's home for custom shirts, custom hats, and of course putting up putting up vinyl banners for your 
and all your stuff for, for your businesses and whatever have you. Long Island Tots is home to some of the it was some of the best guys in the business to work to get this gift. Make sure your product stands out from the best. Don't forget to visit them. Don't forget to give them a chance to go out. L.I. Chops, if it ain't us, it ain't lit. That's L-I-T-O-P-E, Ops. Alright, folks, it's that time of the week where somebody had to be, had to be a do things that would make them look like a fucking idiot or say things that makes them sound like a fucking idiot. That, my friends, is why I call this week, this segment, the Jackass of the Week Award. Some people may think, uh, say, may think that you can name Stephen A. Smith and Adam Shine co-jackasses of the week for talking about the Knicks in a negative light, how they missed out on Donovan Mitchell, and how, they, and how Leon Rose refused to get fleeced. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to name one of the G jackasses of black and white sports to make to be the jackasses of the week. But that's not the case this week. Because this week, I'm going to name a bigger jackass, worse than them, because it's just, just outrageous because... It is the epitome of idiocy. In fact, it's a whole new level of stupid. Of course, the uh, report saying, oh, court, Marcus May was arrested on Thursday in New Orleans on, on Thursday morning regarding accusations of aggravated assault with a firearm. Luke Johnson of the New Orleans Times Picayune reports the analogy, of course, the analysis is short here. The alleged incident occurred Monday in Jefferson Parish and May has since been released from jail. Coach Dennis Allen reported and board told Catherine Terrell of ESPN that the Saints won't comment on the matter until they have information. May now couldn't could be subject to league discipline under the personnel personal conduct policy, regardless of how the legal process plays out. Um That was from Rotowire. But two pieces of articles came from CBS Sports. Cody Benjamin reported two days after trading starter Chauncey Gardner-Johnson to the Eagles. The Saints have more drama in their secondary. This time due to an off-field incident. Starting safety Marcus May, the former Jets standout who signed a three-year $22.5 million deal this deal this spring, was arrested Thursday and charged with aggravated assault with a firearm, according to New Orleans, New Orleans football, football's Nick Underhill. His attorney, Eric Hessler, Hessler, said Marcus vehemently denies the assault allegation from a motor vehicle incident and looks forward to defending himself when all the facts come out. Well, this is the second time in two years that Marcus May had been, arrest, been arrested. 
Gortz, a six-year veteran, was previously involved in a car crash that resulted in DUI charges. That occurred in February 2021, but May did not report the accident or criminal charges to the Jets, his team at the time, until it became public last October, per ESPN 97.5 Houston. His hearing for that incident was repeatedly delayed this offseason, but, but could also be subject to NFL discipline. May spent the first five seasons, five years of his NFL career, as a full-time starter for the Jets, who drafted him 39th overall in 2017. He was one of the Saints' top targets of free agency this year, stepping in as an anticipated replacement for veteran starters Marcus Williams, who signed with the Ravens, and Malcolm Jenkins, who retired. He was slated to open 2022 alongside Ty Matthew in the Saints secondary, with B.J. Williams and J.T. Gray serving as backups. May is the second prominent Saints player to be facing Trump court chase and facing criminal charges and potentially facing, uh, like, um, and of course, an NFL or team suspension. Star running back Alvin Kamara has been accused of his felony battery for his role in assault that occurred on the eve of the Pro Bowl in February, though he is unlikely to face NFL discipline until 2023 once his case has officially been resolved. And of course, it's a man, and, uh, and that, and of course, he got, and of course, the Instraca of CBS Sports support reports that New Orleans states against that he was arrested Thursday. And of course, May was put into Jefferson Parish Correctional Center in Louisiana Thursday night and was still in custody. This is less than two weeks before the season starts. And now. He becomes more of a, and he becomes more of an idiot on a road rage and pulling a gun and being a complete buffoon and being a complete buffoon. I can't help but say this, but it doesn't look good for the Saints at this period. But this. It's totally bad. If this is happening, if this is really true, then guess what? The Saints are gonna the Saints are going to be down a few players in that in the uh, depth chart in safety with Tyron Matthew and I don't know who they got. I don't know who they got, but it's a mess all around. Regardless, but at the end of the day, there were there were lives. You can't play, and you can't play with it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a football player. It doesn't matter if you are a total um, total complete idiot. But this dude. Has become a total idiot for being a part of a road rage incident. 
P.J. Williams will probably take his spot. But at the same time, if this is but if this is the case, this it probably probably might not. I, we probably might not see him until like what next year. Of course, when you are identified as the driver of a black of a black SUV, uh, SUV in which he is, you are accused of pointing a firearm at a vehicle occupied by several juvenile females. Then you gotta be a complete fucking idiot. You want maybe maybe some therapy. And, and, a, and a, probably a suspension from either the team or the NFL is more likely happening. The, with the wheel of discipline is always spinning, no matter what the no matter what the cost may be. Marcus May, this week's Jackass of the Week award award winner. I mean. Because I mean, I, they'll be laughing and they'll be making videos about this dude in a positive light and in, in a negative light for days. Look at microphone and uh, I think your name, Trey, would like to make fun of this incident. But I'll wrap this up right after this. Now you can listen to Home Tour Sports. On your on Google Podcast. Check us out every weekday on our check out the link in our description to check out our new home for home just in case you don't even have Spotify nor Anchor. The Home Turn Sports Podcast every day on Anchor, Spotify, and now Google Podcast. Don't forget to check us out today. Alright folks, thanks for listening to the Home Turf Radio Network. And of course our podcast at Home Turf Sports. Glad to be a part of part of your average everyday week. Reminder, we're not going to be on the air on Monday. We'll be back Tuesday with an all new episode. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Home Turf Radio. And don't forget to check us out on Google Podcasts, Apple Spotify, and Anchor. So with that in mind. So long, everybody, until Tuesday afternoon. Or Tuesday night, whatever it may be. Because you never know when I might make these episodes. So long, everybody.